It's uh, lovely to be with you again and to uh, worship with you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from the Old Testament. We're going to read from a a couple of the prophets. going to read from Hosea, first of all, and then from Amos. So, first of all, from Hosea. Uh, We're going to read from chapter 8. And uh, just as you're finding that, let me just give a very, very brief bit of history to set the the context. You'll perhaps know that uh, Israel, after the kingships of uh, Saul and then uh, David and Solomon, uh, Israel was divided. It was divided between the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom uh, called Judah. And uh, moving on through the centuries, uh, we came to the place where about 750 uh, BC, uh, Amos started to prophesy, uh, warning the northern kingdom that if they didn't change their ways, then God was going to judge them. And just as Moses had said, uh, they were going to be taken out of the land and taken into exile and so on. And then about 20 years later, uh, Hosea came and said the same thing. And then 10 years after Hosea, uh, what they prophesied actually came true. And the judgment of God fell and Israel was taken off into exile. So as David Pawson says, these these really are the last chance prophets for that northern kingdom of of Israel. And so although we're uh, reading Hosea first, let's remember that he came after uh, Amos. So Hosea chapter 8, and Hosea puts his finger under the Spirit of God on what was the heart of what had gone wrong in the northern kingdom in Israel. And this is what he says in verse 4. They made kings, but not through me. They established their own government, in other words, their own king, not God's anointed king. They set up princes, but I knew it not. And then here's the other problem. Not only had they established their own government, they'd established their own religion. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And now let's read a few words from Amos. Amos chapter 2. If Hosea talks about idolatry, uh, Amos tells us the fruit of that idolatry. Idolatry always leads to immorality and it always leads to inhumanity. So Amos chapter 2 verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is 
profaned. Well, amen, and may God bless to us these uh, readings from his own word, and to his name be the the glory and the the praise. Um, We had a a curious incident, my son and I, David, once when we were uh, returning back from a a small conference in Skye, and uh, we'd stopped off for something to eat, and the, the place where we ate was decorated with Targes, you know what I mean? These small uh, sort, these small uh, shields, round shields. And David uh, thought they looked really nice, and he, he bought one. And uh, some Pakistani tourists were there. And when we came out from eating our lunch and so on, they followed us out, and they said to David, "My son, could could we take a photograph of you uh, with the shield?" And so he had to stand against the, the backdrop of the misty mountains. And then he said, we, we want you to look like a fierce Scot. And so he had to go like this with his targe held in front of him. And uh, he's quite a shy boy, but he made a wonderful job of it. There's this wonderful story, a uh, wonderful picture of him looking like this warrior Scot. It shows what the Pakistanis think of Scotland. That, that's their image of us, that we are this warlike sort of aggressive nation. And, and that's the image they hold of us. You know, there was a, a problem in Israel. I, I, you know, I don't know what image we have of ourselves. That's the image that the, the Scots have of us, that the Pakistanis tourists had of us. Uh, I don't know what image we have of ourselves. Uh, Maybe it is a bit like what the Pakistanis think, you know, the iron brew advert made in Scotland from girders. We've we've maybe got that image of ourselves even. (laughs) Image is an interesting thing. There There was a problem in Israel. And we read about it in our reading from Isaiah chapter 8. They'd made an idol. And this is the problem. It was stamped, made in Israel. Remember what we read in verse 6 of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 8. Speaking about the idols. This is what God says through Hosea. It is from Israel. A craftsman made it. In other words, if you put a stamp on it, it would be made in Israel, not made from heaven, not made by God, but made in Israel. And because they had this idol in place of the true God, God says judgment is coming. You know, I don't think that ancient Israel was the last to make that mistake. I think that you can look at the religion of Scotland that many people have adopted, and I don't know where they picked it up and where they got it from, but there's an image of God that many people carry in Scotland, and we would have to stamp it made in Scotland, not made in heaven. You're called New Beginnings. You're a relatively new church. And you know what? That gives you the opportunity to present to the world the true image of who God really is. And it gives you the opportunity to present to God not the image of the God made in Scotland, but the God we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we read in Colossians chapter 1? We read that he is the image of the invisible God. What do we read in Hebrews? He is the exact imprint of God's nature. 
He's the image of God. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to present to this community and to this world. And I believe that many people out there who believe in God actually need rescued from this image of God that's stamped made in Scotland. And they need to see the true face of God. They need to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to sum up what God did Jesus show to the world, well, we could take two emphases of his teaching. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the emphasis of Jesus' teaching is the kingdom of heaven is near to you. I actually talked about that the last time we were here. In other words, the things that you're waiting for at the end of time, when there'll be no more sickness, where Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, and so on and so forth, where everything dark will be dealt with and pushed away and everything that harms human beings will be lifted off of us from ever Jesus says in me that kingdom is drawing close to you now and he heals the sick as a sign the kingdom of heaven is actually breaking in now and he delivers those who are under the oppression of Satan as a sign the kingdom we're waiting for is actually beginning now in the name of Jesus. And we can sum it up like this. The kingdom of heaven is near. The reign of God is beginning now. We sang for that. Reign in me. Sovereign Lord, reign in me. We want your kingdom to be near to us. We want your kingdom to be in us. We want your kingdom to be within us. We want your kingdom to be among us. We want your kingdom to be through us. And that was one of the emphases of Jesus' kingdom. And we can simplify it like this. The help of heaven is close to human beings. The help of heaven is near. And because the help of heaven's kingdom is near, things that cannot be explained and things that no power on earth can alter can actually begin to happen in people's lives. No human power can deal with the works of the evil one. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to untie and to undo the works of the evil one. And so that's the first emphasis. The God of heaven is close to human beings to help them with everything they struggle with, whether it's sin or being sinned against, whatever it is they're facing in life. The God of heaven is near and his power and his reign can overcome what darkness has done in any life. And the other emphasis of Jesus and this comes through more in John's Gospel, is that he shows us who the Father really is. He shows us the love of the Father. He brings us into a relationship with the Father. Remember in John chapter 1, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Do you remember right at the end of John's Gospel, when Mary tries to hold on, Mary Magdalene tries to hold on to Jesus, and what does he say? Don't hold on to me. I've yet to ascend to the Father. Go and tell my brothers, I'm going to my Father and their father to my God and their God the message of Jesus in John's gospel is that he draws us into the love with which the father loves him 
And he says in John 17, as he prays to the Father, he says, Father, I've made your name known to them, and I'm going to continue to make your name known to them in order that the love that you have for me may be in them. Jesus draws us into the love of the Father. He draws us into Abba's love. And he sets us free from believing that all that we deserve and all that we can ever know in this life is condemnation and guilt and shame. He draws us out of that. When I was a Christian, when I became a Christian as a teenager, all the emphasis was on what I was saved out of. And praise God for it. I was saved from hell. I'll never forget the sense of conviction that came upon me. That I was a sinner and if I died, I would be going to hell. And then I heard the good news about Jesus. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. By the chastisement that he bore, I find peace with God. By his stripes, judicial stripes laid upon him. I'm healed. But you know, a lot of the emphasis was what I was saved out of. It took me 20 years to realize the truth of that hymn, you know, out of my bondage, sorrow and night. It was all out of. But it took me 20 years to get into the gladness, freedom and light. Salvation is not just what we've been saved out of. It's what we're saved into. And we're saved into the love that the Father has for Jesus. And so if the Father says over Jesus, you're my son whom I love and you bring me great joy, what's he saying over you if you're in Christ? He's saying, I love you and you bring me great joy. You're my son, my daughter whom I love. You bring me great joy. And that's what Jesus sought to bring those that he ministered into. So there's the image of God that Jesus represented. His help is near to human beings. And he wants people to come into that place. Where despite all we deserve. Because of his son we're loved, loved, loved. In fact beyond that. Can you hold your hand in your heart and say. I'm loved and lovely in the sight of my God. Do you believe that God loves you but doesn't like you? Do you believe he actually likes you? That he adores you? That he's thrilled with you? Because you're his. One of my... Uh, favorite passages I've ever read in any book is a passage where the writer says what's the most holy moment of your day and he says is it when you read your bible is it when you pray he says it's none of these he says the most holy moment of your day is when you wake up in the morning and God turns to the angels and says look a morning miracle has just awakened. He says, go on, he says, and 
you know, do whatever you need to do in terms of Bible reading and prayer. He says, but that moment when you first wake up at six in the morning, before you've done any of that, that's the most holy moment. And he says, but you don't know what I look like at six in the morning. And he says, no, but I can imagine. Pajamas all crumpled. Hair all tousled. A face that would scare a dog. And a breath that would stain the wall. That's the you that God sees. And that's the you that God adores. And he says, so go on and take your shower for the sake of those you're going to mix with that day. Or, you know, put on your deodorant for the sake of those you're going to sit next to in the bus. But don't do it for God. Because in his eyes in Christ you're already perfect. And he says, you're my son, my daughter, and I love you. And you bring me great joy. So God is close with all his heavenly help. And he invites us into that delighted love. That is the image of God that Jesus offers to those who will come to him and believe in him. Do you know the image of God I think many Scottish people have got? It's the image of God that I had as a teenager uh, before, before I, I was converted as a teenager. Actually I got it from Doctor Who, believe it or not. And uh, Doctor Who in one episode had gone back to 1066 and before they got back in the TARDIS he, he found a watch uh, sorry, he dropped a watch and then he got back in the TARDIS and some ancient Briton or whatever came along and found this watch and was studying it and looking at it. And friends, if, if you found a watch, this is where my theology, as far as it got without Christ, if, if you looked at a watch, if you'd never seen a watch and you picked it up and you looked at it and, and you thought, well, did this just happen or did somebody make it? Imagine you're an ancient Briton or Saxon or whatever in 1066 and you found a watch. What would you think? Did it, did it just make itself? Or, or did somebody make it? And he said, you, you, you know, I thought you would, you would pick it up and you would look at it and you would look at the way it was constructed and maybe you would take the back off it and look at all the mechanism inside and I think you'd have to believe that somebody made it. Friends, that's, that's the God of Freemasonry. It's not the Christian God. There's some great architect of the universe who put everything together. But that's where it ends. The idea that he might be concerned about righteousness and lack of it doesn't figure the idea that he might not just be some architect who put everything in motion but then withdraws and isn't really connected with you that, that's the idea I had 
And then I discovered Jesus. And over the decades I discovered him more. Until I got to the place of embracing the one true image of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm still learning to embrace him. The one who shows true God. Who brings the help of heaven to us. And who invites us into a love that we do not deserve. Do you know what I think many people out there believe? They, They believe in the God of Freemasonry. I'd hazard a guess and say the majority of Scots believe in some great architect of the universe who made everything. There must be somebody. But it ends there. And you know what they need to know through you and through me? This God is close to you and he cares. And in this God there's the forgiveness you need. A forgiveness that's so full that he'll love you as though you'd never once sinned in your whole life. And that's our job. And that's our calling. To show this community that's who God really, really is. (coughs) And the problem is when we have a a God who's made in Scotland, an, an image stamp made in Scotland, made in Israel, made anywhere but made in heaven. Do you remember what I said in introducing the readings? If you've got an idol in the face of the true God, Idolatry always leads to one of two things or both of two things. It leads to inhumanity and it leads to immorality. And Amos tells us about both. But it's the inhumanity I want us to focus on today. This is what he says was happening in Israel. We had this God, this calf that they made out of metal that God was stamping made in Israel, not made by me. This was the result. Amos chapter 2, verse 6. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. When we forget who God is, we start treating human beings wrongly. We start becoming inhuman. If we do exercise any care, it's a bit like the Freemasons. It's for those we decide to care for, often to our own benefit in some way. When we've got an idol, we become inhuman and all gentleness and all care and all compassion starts to go out of the way that we treat one another and the way that we speak to one another I've got something in my pocket I'm trying to get into Shots Prison later on today I don't know if I'll be allowed it because somebody might take it and kill another prisoner with it I don't know but it's this 
It's a wee snow globe. And you know, I remember being in a, a meeting once where somebody suffering from mental illness who was unemployed, they talked about how they'd missed their appointment with the benefits office by three minutes. And because they missed their appointment by three minutes, the person on the other side of the desk said, that's it, you're sanctioned. And they were looking at the prospect of no money, possibly for 12 weeks at that time. He said at that moment, and he took a snow globe, and he said, that's what happened to my mind. He said, I was pretty near living on the edge all the time, but see when they said that, at that moment, that's what happened to my mind. He had a total, complete mental breakdown. And then as the snow settled, he said, I'm actually better now. Things have calmed down. And then as the snow settled some more, he said, but you know what? It doesn't take very much at all for me to feel like that again. I wonder if we realise how many people are living on the edge. And it's a pretty merciless non-compassionate world we live in. It doesn't take very much for people who are just about managing to feel like this. Sometimes we talk about a baptism and the power of the Spirit. Do you know what that always brings about? when it's true it brings a baptism in the love of God that overflows with compassion friends if our idea of mission is we've got to get somebody to sign in the dotted line about Jesus I think that owes something to a God Stamp made in Scotland. If it's disembodied words, then it doesn't bear the stamp made in heaven. Idolatry leads to inhumanity. Embracing the image of God in Jesus means we look at people. And we have compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Amen. Remember somebody in Wester Hills coming into the prayer meeting for the first time just out of Wester Hills and they actually prayed even though they'd never been in a prayer meeting before. And this is what they said. They said, God, thank you for bringing me to this church. They said, I never knew there was another way to do life before I came here. 
lots of people know that their lives are like this. And they need to sense and see and know through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an answer to that. And there's another way to do life. And that does begin with first button in place. Jesus. But before that begins with us looking and seeing these poor people are like sheep without a shepherd they don't know there's an answer to this there's another way to do life friends the damage of a a view of God not stamped made in heaven but made in Scotland or made wherever it doesn't only damage our mission. It damages folk within the church. I was speaking in a church not terribly long ago and this young mum came up to me. I didn't know she was a new mum at that stage. And she said, can, I, can you pray with me? Can I speak to you? And she said, ever since childbirth, which I think was maybe two or three months before she spoke to me, she said, uh, I've had this pain and the doctors have x-rayed me and have had scans and there's, there, there's nothing wrong with me. But, but I've got this pain. And we started to speak to one another and the conversation eventually reached this point. Maybe if I prayed more and maybe if I read the Bible more then God would heal me and fix out this pain and we started to pray and as we prayed she relaxed and as she relaxed the pain went and we stopped praying and she said well the pain's gone and then she started to say again so maybe if I just keep reading the Bible more, maybe if I keep praying more, maybe I'll be okay. And I said to her, but wait a minute, when did the prayer go? When did the pain go? It just went when you're relaxed in the presence of the God who loves you. And allowed him to touch you and to help you. I don't think it was the fault of that church but somewhere just as somebody who lives in the religious atmosphere of Scotland she picked up this image God loves me if and when and her relationship with God was full of oughts and shoots. Friends, there's all the difference between the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's of the Bible that God does want us to observe because there's life and there's refreshing in them. There's all the difference in the world between that and the oughts and shoulds that members of the church somehow put in one another. You ought to do this. You should do that. 
And here was a beautiful young mum. And she was carrying this weight of all the oughts and shoulds of what she ought and should be doing if God was going to love her and if God was going to help her. I wonder if there's somebody here even today and you're carrying all sorts of oughts and shoulds I don't know where you picked them up like I say Scotland has a sort of religious history that presents a distant God usually with a frowning face like a displeased judge or a community policeman out looking for fault sin is sin don't get me wrong but the relationship that we're offered with God in Christ so often needs to be cleansed of all the oughts and shoulds that have been made by man are you living under oughts or shoulds Do you realize that the holiest moment of your day is first thing in the morning before you've read your Bible, before you've prayed, before you've taken your shower, before you've brushed your hair? He loves you in Christ because he loves you. And all these other things that are good for Christians to do are there for our health. But some of the oughts and shoulds have replaced the message of grace. And you know, as we talked, this young mum and I, the pain started to come back. We prayed again. She relaxed again. And she just let God love her. And the pain went. Do you know what I found myself saying to her? And I've said this often over the years to Christians who I think are carrying a lot of oughts and shoots that they need to be cleared off of their shoulders. I said, you know what I think God's word to you is? I think it's simply this. Exactly what you would do with your newborn son. You'd put him over your shoulder and you'd pat his back and you'd say, Shh. Shh. So I kept saying to her, I believe this is the word of the Lord for you. Just sit still and receive it. And she quietened her soul like a well-weaned child within her.
and the healing returned. Is there somebody here today to whom God would say, My little son, my little daughter, whom I love so dearly, who brings me so much delight. Where did these arts and shoots come from? They don't bear the stamp made in heaven. They don't bear the stamp made by Jesus. They get made somewhere in your story. Don't know who by. Maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a church, maybe a teacher, maybe a brother, a sister, an employer. You ought to this, you ought to that, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. But it didn't come from me. This is my word to you. Just receive. Just receive my love. Is it time for some of us here just to Put in the trash can forever the God stamp made in Scotland. The God that was made in my childhood, the God that was made in that church, the God that was made by that person that I so admired, that writer I so admired, that preacher of thunder that I so admired, every time they were tearing strips off of people. Is it time for that? Just in the trash can with it all I don't want what's made in Scotland in my heart I want what's been made in heaven and came to earth in Jesus it's him I want it's him I want to live in And it's him I want this world to see. That they too will be delivered from the God made in Scotland. And come to know that the God of heaven is close to them with real help to be involved in their lives. Wherever they are feeling like this over whatever matter. And that he actually loves them. He's their Abba, their Father, their Daddy. And so often, Daddy's here. Did you never do this with your children? Pick them up. I remember doing it for hours. My son never slept slept till he was a year and a half. My wife says we saw every dawn in Orkney for a year and a half. Just walked up and down. There's two things that helped. Patting them in the back saying shh. And 
for some odd reason singing over him a fine wee lass, a bonny wee lass is bonny wee Jeannie McCall. Why that? I have no idea. Let's just pray for a moment. Is it time to let go of an idol? The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol may be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. It can feel almost a guilty thing to let go of some influences that were important to us. But I know that some of the things I heard in my early years as a Christian were not helpful and were not God. But because they came from godly people, I believed them. But they harmed me. And it took decades to emerge out of the harm. What do you need to let go of today? What spiritual outlook or influence is stamped made in Scotland, made by the church, made by religion, but not made by God? And if I can be prophetic for a moment, I think God has given me this. This will maybe be an issue for you here in the church in the, on this level. You're from many different backgrounds. And all of us will bring things that were precious to us from these backgrounds to this one new church in which we're all sharing Make sure that you don't pollute the stream here with what was simply made by a church or made by religion that you bring from these backgrounds. Bring what was good from these backgrounds. But let all of that be challenged by who Jesus is. I think God wants to create a really pure stream here. And so though we gather from different stories as it were, and we're grateful for different influences, make sure that all these influences don't pollute the stream by bringing what was not helpful from these influences and demanding that they become part of this church. Is it your prayer here to be fashioned according to the image of Jesus? Not the image of the brethren, not the image of charismatic church, not the image of Church of Scotland, not the image of the Baptist church, bringing all that's good from any of these places but saying Lord purify us 
and help us to build according to what was shown in Jesus. Moses was told to build according to all he'd been shown on the mount. I think God says to you, build according to what has come to you from heaven. Build according to Jesus. And friends, if I can be directed with their strong voices, some of us have strong voices, strong opinions. Make sure they first pass through the refining fire of Jesus before you bring an ought or a should that comes from you rather than heaven. And then I wonder if there's some of us here and we, because we're carrying these oughts and shoulds and not managing to live up to them, we're not sure God loves me. We're not sure we're forgiven. I wonder if there's someone today who simply needs to hear this. That God is saying to you, It's okay. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever the torment in your mind, in your soul, I'm close with my help. I'm enfolding you in eternal love that will never diminish. Not more this, more that. Just, just rest. receive my love Lord bless your word to us whatever we're meant to hold on to help us to hold on to whatever's not for us may it just fly out the window of our memories but what you've said to us individually in a particular way or maybe even to this church in a particular way Help us to hold on to it. May it find resting place in good soil within our hearts. And produce fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Free us from idolatry. And free us from any inhumanity and lack of compassion. For mixed up lives, whether lost or found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.